0: Well good morning church. It's a pleasure to be back with you after several weeks and uh, we're looking forward to very much being with you today. Uh, a couple of things before we get into the message itself. I, I want to talk about two things that I think are important and it's an exciting uh, transition in the process that Kerrville Church of Christ is in. The first thing is that as you leave today on the tables that are at the exits you're going to find a uh, a copy of a summary report, a congregational summary report of all of the work with the focus groups and interviews that we did in January. Uh, Over 100 of you participated in that. If you you participated, raise a hand. Yeah, so this is a a summary report coming out of all of those focus groups that the elders led, and you're going to find there a a gathering of uh, the, the themes and ideas that surfaced in that. Uh, ideas about uh, the, the, what the DNA of this church is and how we'd want to share the, what it is about Kerrville to a prospective minister. There's uh, uh, content there about what we're looking for with regard to a new senior minister. And what are our hopes and what are some of the challenges. So I want you to pick up a copy of that and, and read it. It's an important piece and it's used by... Uh, our elders and staff will be used by the new search committee as they begin their look and search for a new preaching minister. So that's number one. Number two, the elders have been at work prayerfully engaging, and today they want to share with you uh, the new search committee that's been formed. And so I'm going to uh, uh, ask the following persons to come up here. We're going to lay hands and pray over them uh, today. Uh, so I'm going to name them in just a second. These folks gathered yesterday for a time of uh, work and uh, orientation to the work that they're going to do. The elders are charging this search committee on behalf of the congregation to uh, conduct a search for a new senior minister. They've been charged to practice prayer and wisdom. They'll be working and engaging with people uh, uh, people from across the country doing this search, and I'm going to be asking that you uh, take time to uh, be... So let's let's bring them up here and uh, get uh, uh, this introduction underway, and we're going to congregationally pray for them and their work. So Chad Warner, if you would make your way up. I saw you over there. David Jones, if you could come. Please. Craig Sebeck, Allison Robertson... Uh, Freya Windling, Gayla Affair, who I think is out of town today, uh, Josh Baker, Ray Schultz, and then uh, two elders are going to serve as liaisons to this committee, uh, Don Barrett and James Penland. So I don't know what would be best, but let's gather up here somewhere uh, and uh, ask the rest of the elders to come and lay hands on these uh, brothers and sisters. Yeah, come on up, come on up. And uh, Clay, I'm going to... Turn the microphone here over to you, and let you uh, offer a prayer of blessing and commission as you all begin.
1: Let's let's pray together over this team. Father God, we just come to you this morning, and and we give thanks, uh, thanks for these people who are willing to to be servants uh, for this congregation uh, in in locating uh, and choosing and. Uh, the next minister for this church, and Father, I just I'm just thankful that they are willing to put out their time and and effort in in helping us to to find this person. And Father, as they go through this, we just would ask that everything that they do, Father, is through through you, through prayer, um, that they would every decision they make, every every meeting they have that they just cover everything in prayer uh, and rely on you to guide them through this process. Father, we also would just pray that they would have open ears and open hearts and that they would listen um, to this congregation, to Carson and the Cyber Institute, uh, to the elders. Help them to hear and, and take in what others have to say and thoughts that others have and that they would utilize those resources to help them through this process. Um, Lord, I just uh, I just pray that they would have open communication uh, between them and between those resources that we mentioned just a moment ago, and that, that this would just be a, a good process, that everyone would uh, be open to hear what you have to say. Most of all, Father, we ask that they would listen to you and to the Holy Spirit, and that they would let you guide them in all that they do, every step of the way through this whole process. And we just pray all this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Amen.
1: Consider yourself charged.
0: We want you to be praying for these uh, brothers and sisters. Their charge uh, will take them uh, a lot of tasks. They'll be working on developing a congregational profile of the church. They'll be... um, Uh, developing lists of uh, networks to uh, begin that search. They're going to be utilizing this congregational summary that I'm talking about this morning as a guide to the sorts of things that they'll be sharing with uh, prospective ministers. They've got a lot of work to do in front of them, and we'll be looking forward to hearing in the next weeks and months as they do their work, they're reporting out uh, their journey um, as they follow the will and heart of God. Great. Very good. Well, today, what's the word of the Lord for us? Let me start with uh, a kind of an opening question here. Uh, that opening question would be, uh, and do we have some slides? Uh, we do have some slides. And I was told that they would be back here. <laughs> okay, I can see them here. All right. Uh, so here's my question for you this morning. Is the world, is the world an open place or a closed place? Now, before you answer, let me tell you what I'm trying to get at. Uh, That uh, for most of human history, the world was understood to be open. That is, that the world was a transcendent place, that God broke into the human experience, and we we could know that God was present and in working in our world and in our life. Uh, But in the last several hundred years, as we've gotten... I'm doing this in quotation marks, right? Smarter and more uh, capable and more scientific and more whatever. The world has gradually become, for many people in the Western world, like America, a closed world. That is to say, we really don't need God anymore. Are you following me here? A closed world. A world where, a secular world, where we don't need God to explain things because we've got science. Science. We've got medicine, we've got uh, technology, we've got uh, brilliant uh, operations of business and economy that we can sort everything out, we don't really need God. And and so we're living in, are you following me, a closed kind of world today. Now, the danger of that is, there's several dangers about that. One is it's a false assumption, <laughs> But the danger I want to point to is that I think for many of us as Christians, we're continuing to live in a closed world, even though the witness of Scripture is that it's an open world. What I'm saying is that many of us as Christians live as what I would call a functional deist. That is, we say there is a God... We say there is a God. The Bible says there's a God, but in our day-to-day operational life, we act as if God does not really exist, except when we get ourselves in a real jam, and then we go looking for God. Help! We cry out. But the rest of the time, we live in a closed world. Are you following me? Is this making sense? It, you're, okay, let me just just let me test you here. If you get sick, who's the first person you call? The doctor or the elders of the church? You call the doctor. You call the doctor. Why? Because you live in a closed world. You think that your medical doctor is the more important call to make. I do too, by the way. I'm not trying to indict you. I I live in a, a world where I've kind of closed in. But do you see how we kind of think? 600 years ago, Christians would have called the elders or the pastor or the priest or the minister, right? Why? Because we believe God is actually involved in our world. All right. Now, here's the problem that we're in when we start assuming we live in a closed world. We act like we live in a closed world. We also begin to think that we're the boss. And if we're going to get something done, then we've got to figure it out for ourselves. But you know how that works out for us? It doesn't. In fact, what we find out is that we aren't able to live life meaningfully in our closed little worlds, and we end up inevitably in a mess. This was pointed out to me really wonderfully in a movie that just came out a couple of months ago called The Dig. Has anybody seen this movie, The Dig? It's out on Netflix. I highly commend it. It's a lovely film. Um, it's a story, it's a true, it's a, tell me out of a true story about an archaeological dig in England called Sutton Hoo. They found this huge 90-foot old Anglo-Saxon ship from, you know, it's 1,200 years old or something like that, in, in, uh, buried in the south of England. The story is about the digger, the archaeologist, the excavator that found it, played by Rafe Fiennes, And uh, the woman who owns the property, uh, Edith Pretty, I believe is her name. And Edith is uh, very keen on finding this. She has a little 10-year-old son, Robert. And uh, Robert is a a lovely uh, young lad. But Edith, the, the mother, is sick. She's dying. And Robert knows that. And it's an absolute frustration for Robert because his daddy, before his daddy died, had said, you take care of your mama. And he's not able to take care of his mama. His mama is dying. And uh, there's nothing he seems to be able to do about it. And there comes this tragic moment in the film where Robert realizes how sick his mother is, and he's so uh, utterly feeling the sense of inability to take care of his mother's situation that he runs out of the house and bumps in to Rafe the the, the uh, digger, Basil Brown. And in that moment... Basil Brown looks at the young boy and makes this quote that I share with you today. Basil Brown says, Robert, to the little boy, we all fail every day. There are some things we just can't succeed at no matter how hard we try. He's right, isn't he? Isn't he? Isn't he right? It's the sort of thing that I experienced many years ago with a woman that I'll call Donna. I found I, Donna found me in a moment of hysteria after a long history of sexual abuse, abuse drug abuse and addiction, uh, violence at the hands of her father, who had uh, over-repeatedly had literally cracked her skull open and it had healed back poorly. Uh her life was an absolute mess. Nothing in her world or her life was going well. Or I could tell you about JB. JB was a man who had studied to become an attorney, but along the way his wife had gotten sick and had died. He remarried a second time, and out of that marriage, a boy was born, but at the age of five, that boy died. Life looks like a failure. Are are you following me? How do we handle these kinds of situations in our life? Well, when we're trying to live a closed world, it gets pretty hard. It all rests on us. But the world of Scripture, as what uh, one theologian, Karl Barth, would call the strange new world of the Bible. Whoa, what was he getting at? He was getting at this. That when we talk about our life in our closed little worlds, we think that somehow or another we're the ones who chart the course for ourselves. But Karl Barth looked at the Bible and said, no, when we enter into the world of the Bible, we find out that God is up to something. That God is at work. That God is active and powerful and doing things that transform uh, peoples and churches and communities and nations and on and on it goes. And that's the world that I want to talk about today. When I was here a month or so ago, I got to spend a few weeks in the book of Acts. And, uh, and I, I could spend a lot of time in the book of Acts pointing this out. But what I want to do today is do what is kind of the capstone look at the book of Acts. And see that in this story of the book of Acts, we're, we're uh, introduced to this strange world of the Bible. In fact, uh, when we think about even the title of it's itself speaks to this, the Acts of the Apostles. Now, I, I don't want to get all nerdy, but in, in the original language, the, the, the language of, uh, that it was written in, in Greek, the, the language, the word, the, the title would be something like this Praxis Apostolone. Apostolone. Do you hear the word apostle in that? You got that. But it's the other word that I'm interested in for the moment, praxis. It, do you hear the word praxis or practice? Do you hear it? Practice? The, the book of Acts is the acts, the practices, the praxis of God as he works out his purposes among the, that community uh, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It is God's activity through and through. And although we will see heartache, destruction, death, violence, right? We, we've got the martyrdom of Stephen, right? It didn't turn out so well for Stephen, did it? Or did it? You know, Stephen went down, he went down as a martyr, didn't he? Is that such a bad way to die? No, it's not. Through episode after episode in the book of Acts, we're being introduced to a God who is acting powerfully and strongly to bring about his will and his purposes. And that's what we're after. And in fact, uh, this work of God is so significant and powerful that in Acts chapter 5, we find an incident that I want to share with you. It's just it's a little moment where a, a guy by the name of Gamaliel, who's a part of a Jewish legal court, uh, has uh, and the apostles have been arrested yet one more time for all of their uh, preaching and activity. And Gamaliel makes this uh, makes this little speech about what is going on with these early Christians. He says, "Leave these people alone, because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, then you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may be found fighting against God. Even those who opposed the transforming work of the early church understood that if God was in it, you better get out of the way. Because God's going to do what God's going to do. God is active in our open world. Well, what does does that mean for us? Well, what it means for us is that our task is to pay attention to what God is doing. The language that Luke would use is the language of witness. So in Luke, the 24th chapter, as the Gospel of Luke closes, where where it's announced, Luke will say that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Or in Acts chapter 8, which I alluded to just a moment ago, we'll read this, that you will receive there's a, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, right? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. You and I are being asked to be witnesses. Witnesses. Do you know what witnesses do? Well, there's two things that make a witness, and you've got to have both of them. Or you can't be a witness. Are you ready? First of all, you've got to see something. You've got to, you've got to have seen something to be a witness. If you haven't seen it, you haven't, can't be a witness. And in this case, we're talking about people who have seen God at work. You've got to be able to see it. And then the second thing is you've got to be willing to tell the truth about what you have seen. That's what we want with witnesses, right? In a court of law. And you and I are being told, invited, called. By virtue of our baptism, we've been invited to be witnesses, to bear witness, to tell the truth about what we have seen in God's work in the world and in history and in our communal life and in my own life. We are called to be witnesses, to talk, to tell, to speak of what God is up to in the world. There's no... uh, no. Better, no bigger thing to get around than that. Because God is up to stuff. He's up to a work that is transforming and reshaping the world. Jesus would speak about it uh, in Matthew 16 after Peter makes that great confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, then that, there's that bit of language where he turns to Peter and says, You are Peter, and on this rock. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Sometimes I think we think of church as being, well, like a building. And, uh, and that's why this verse doesn't make any sense to us. How can a building have do something to the gates of Hades? It's two static objects. Well, there's a poor assumption on our part. The church is not a building. The church is a living, dynamic force bound up in the community, the called out people of God, and they are moving and they are marching over and against, and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against the work of God as he empowers his people towards his ends and purposes. That's what we're called and invited into. And it's evident all over the book of Acts. Let me let me try to show you one way in which I see it at work in Acts. Now, uh, what I'm going to do, uh, we've got some slides to help us with this, but there's a, there's a word that shows up in Acts about mm, seven times. And it's, it's an unusual word, and it's as, if, it's as if Luke is doing something programmatic with this word. The word would be, uh, in English we're going to hear it as to hinder or to prevent. Maybe the first and most familiar of those is in Acts chapter 8, verses, uh, verse 40 to 36. It's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember this story? The Ethiopian eunuch, Philip, they're in the, they're in the chariot, they're headed down on the road to Gaza, and they're studying the book of Isaiah. And in there comes this moment when the eunuch says, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. What? Help me out, church. What is to hinder me from being... Baptized, and the answer is not a thing, <laughs> not a thing. It's the first time this word shows up, and it's a kind of a clue about something that Luke is thinking about theologically. What Luke is thinking about in terms of God's action: nothing can stop what God wants to do. It shows up again in chapter uh, uh, chapter ten. Uh, in uh, chapter 10 and about verse 47. This is a story of when Peter goes to Cornelius uh, at, up in Caesarea and has a little visit with him about the gospel. And here we have, we first have an Ethiopian eunuch who's not a Jew and we have Cornelius who's not a Jew. Outsiders both and the gospel is breaking into their world and uh The Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and his household, and then Peter says, can anyone do what? Withhold or hinder or prevent water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Something sort of interesting. Luke is trying to give us an insight into God's persistence, God's agenda, and how it will go forward. It happens again several other times. Chapter 16. There's a little incident of this, uh, this uh, word. Uh, it shows up when uh, in a little different way where the Holy Spirit is going to do some hindering. Uh, and this is with Paul and his traveling party. They want to go to Phrygia and Galatia. But they've been hindered or forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So that they would go another place, the Holy Spirit stops or hinders to send them in another direction, a course correction, as it were. And there are other chapter, other places where this begin, this happens. Um, in uh, the next slide is uh, chapter 23, I believe. Or excuse me, tw- 24, and then 27, where th- there is a hindering that takes place. And then the final one of these, if I've got my numbers straight, comes to the text that we heard read just a little while ago, if we could go to this last one. It is interesting to me that the very last word of the book of Acts is our word, hinder. Now, if I were writing the book of Acts, I would not have done it the way Luke did it. He writes Luke, and Luke ends with what? The death of Jesus and the resurrection. And now we're writing Acts, as he tells the story of the early church. If I were Luke, I would write about uh, about Paul's death. Paul dies a martyr. Why doesn't he tell? And he knows that Paul dies a martyr. He knows that's part of the story, but he doesn't tell that part of the story. What's he doing? Well, he's not trying to write history, although it is historical. What he's doing is trying to invite us on a journey with a God who will not be prevented. And so he ends the story using this word. It's the very last word in the Greek text of the book of Acts. Unhindered. That Paul is, we leave Paul in a house, under house arrest. And what is Paul doing? He's doing what? And, and this is kind of a clue for us, he's practicing hospitality. He's practicing hospitality. He's inviting anybody and everybody, and they're welcoming, welcoming in, and what's he doing? He's, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about Jesus. And the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being declared without hindrance. What's God up to? Oh, God's up to transforming people's lives. He is. That's what he's up to. Is what happened for Donna, the woman I mentioned earlier. She found the gospel, and the gospel found her, and she was baptized, and her life became changed. Her world became turned upside down and right side out, and she found life again. Or JB, the guy that I mentioned, he went on and became an attorney, and a and practices law now in a major city in the southeast, and is a church leader, and out of his brokenness of the loss and death that he's experienced, continues to find ways for the gospel of Jesus Christ to flow without hindrance. God will transform our lives. God will transform churches, too, if we don't create obstacles for what he wants and desires to do. Uh, That God can and will make a difference, change this church, Kerrville Church of Christ, sitting here on this loop, he can and will transform. I see it happening all over the place. I'm working with a church not all that far from here that's getting ready to plant a daughter church. It's going to plant a new church within its own structures so that it can reach a new generation of people. That is letting God work unhindered. I'm talking to another church in the East Coast that's learning and re- uh, using this time of pandemic not to wring their hands, but to restructure the whole church into a series of house churches and small ju- uh, small small groups. I'm sorry, small groups and house churches. Why? Because they're learning that neighborhood after neighborhood, the way they can reach brothers and uh, people for Jesus Christ is by Talking to and sharing the gospel with their neighbors on cul de sacs and in public library settings and in little sub communities in their big city. I just came from a church uh, just in the last few weeks, a church that's uh, reimagining what it means for them to worship and to practice uh, their uh, corporate life and faith in ways in which that, that, it, that church can reach people in their community and young adults. Oh, churches are not being hindered when they open up their, the possibility to let their world be an open world, not a closed world, where I'm the boss. I'm allowing the world to be as it really is. It really is an open world. And God really is God. The problem is, the challenge is, we sometimes still think that it's my agenda that gets to cover it. And that's really problem. It really is. So, uh, let me just take a, a moment or two to share with you what I'm seeing. I, I, I know that this is not a normal thing to do in a sermon, but I want to take three or four minutes and uh, do a little bit of teaching about what I'm seeing in churches uh, because that's part of what I'm wanting to do as I walk alongside you here at Kerrville. So let, let's bring up this. Here, here we go. Here, here are some things that I am seeing and other people are seeing and what literature is saying uh, that's happening in churches right now that I'm just wanting to give you some glimpse of what's happening when churches allow themselves to let God break in and do the work he wants to do without hindrance. We're going to see churches that commit to mission over maintenance. The mission of the church matters, and we're going to pay attention to it first and foremost, and we're not going to get distracted about other things or doing things the way they've always been done or to make everybody happy just because we want to make everybody happy. Because, like, making everybody happy is not a part of God's agenda. Right? Really? Are you with me here? Churches that are thriving are churches that are sold out for the mission of God. And when churches are willing to relinquish what I want for church and embrace what God wants for church, Katie, bar the door. Things begin to happen. These are churches that are intentionally doing evangelism that comes through relationships. It's not about having fancy programs. It's not about uh, having... A, there, there was a book written many years ago called The Gospel Blimp. Let, let's, it was a, a little kind of comedy about, let's get a blimp and just drop pamphlets all over Kerrville to tell people to turn to Jesus. No, it's not about fancy programs. It's about relationships. About finding ways in which ordinary Christians... Speak to ordinary people about their faith with Jesus Christ. These are churches that are well-respected in the community through compassion and service, and this is one of the strengths that this church possesses. Let's leverage it. It's a place where attendance to worship services will not drive engagement. It'll be engagement that drives people to worship services. The idea of having some big show where everybody, we have thousands of people in one big room, and that's the way of the future, no, it'll come because we're engaging in real ministry and real service in a hundred different ways that will uh, invite people into community and life and service. These churches will become more multi-site and multi-venue and and multi-day. That is to say, the day of having just one service, one worship service for the church, probably in is it's not over. But if a church is going to be thriving it's a church that's going to find multiple ways to have times of worship and do it at multiple times of the day and find ways in which those services can speak to and engage people of different ages and ethnic groups and backgrounds. Why? Because the mission is what matters, not making me comfortable or what I like or what I have remembered in my past. That's what we're going to see in these kinds of churches. Well, so we'll see smaller worship gatherings, but more of them. They'll be well-connected to networks. there will be churches that will partner with other churches to get things done or partner with nonprofits to get things done. And again, I see lots of those signs and keys here at Kerrville. Small groups will be a key. Finding ways of putting people in relationships with each other will be a key. And corporate prayer will be the center of church's life. So I take a few moments to say all that because I I want you to understand that the wave of what church might look like in the future will be different than what it looked like in the past. That should not disturb us because that's always been the case for 2,000 years. The church you grew up in is not the church of 100 years ago. It always is changing. The way we do things is always in movement and flux. The reason why we don't think that is because we haven't lived 250 years. Some of us have lived maybe 70 or 80, but that's not very long when it comes to the scope of God's engagements with humankind, right? God has been at work for thousands of years, in all kinds of ways, doing one thing, and one thing only, that by the power of the gospel, people's lives are being transformed and renewed By the grace and power of Jesus Christ. And that's what you and I have experienced. It's what we long for. It's what we long for as a community of God's people. And that's what we've been called to embody and to embrace. So God is doing a new thing. He's doing powerful things. And maybe our task is not so much trying to hang on to the past or Our thing is not so much trying to make sure that my way of doing things or my ministry is the thing that survives. Maybe it's time for us to remember we live in an open world and we let God do the work he desires to do. I want to share with you one more quote and then we're going to close and Raymond's going to come and lead us in a song. This is from Andrew Purvis. And Andrew gets at this in a very cheeky way, but I'd like for you, Why wouldn't he? He's got a bow tie on, right? Cheeky. Uh, Purvis says this in a way that I think gets it right at the core of what I am trying to suggest to us today. We've got to let go of my way of thinking about things. He writes, as the risen ascended Lord, Jesus does not now sit in heaven with his arms folded, waiting for us to do something religious that he can affirm. Jesus is not our cheerleader from the heavens, hoping we'll get faith and ministry right. Neither does Jesus want to get involved in our ministries. Why would He? Our ministries are not redemptive. We don't raise the dead, forgive the sinful, heal the sick, or reign in or bring in the reign of God. Rather, Jesus has his own resurrected ministry to do. Jesus raises the dead. He forgives the sinful, He heals the sick. He brings in God's reign. And he wants us in on his gig. You get that, church? Wouldn't you rather be a part of God's ministry than our own? Wouldn't you like to live in an open world where God is at work and we're partnering and bearing witness to that rather than thinking it somehow or another rests on my shoulders? I know that's the case for the way I understand my own life because like Donna and like JB, I am a person who has been... (laughs) My world has been turned upside down by the way in which God has functioned as my healer and as my savior and as my redeemer and as my Lord. And that's the same for congregations as well. And so today, I'm suggesting, I'm offering, I'm asking, I'm challenging, doing all of those things to say, let your world open up. Believe and look for the work of God Bear witness to the truth of the gospel that you see in your world. And let the work of God transform your life, and let God transform this church for the sake of his mission Amen. and purpose in the world. Amen. Ray, where are you at? Are you nearby? No. Have we got a song to sing? Yes, we do. Okay, let's, let's stand together and sing this song with gusto as we give ourselves over to the call of God to live for him.